Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong, back again with you on the radio. So happy to be here. Hope you all had a fourth, a good 4th of July. I have my friend EJ with me today. Say hello to the folks, EJ. Happy 4th of July after the day. <laughs> Hope your ribs were good and your barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, have a show today that's pretty good. We're going to talk about, of course, the good, the bad, and the ugly over the past uh, week. And uh, we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll bring that to you. And then in the second segment, we're going to talk a little bit about a funeral, a very strange funeral in the D.C. area. Something happened there. E.J. is going to talk about that. There will be some dumb criminal law stories, some riddles, and a Paul Harvey story, if we have the time. And I think we will. Let's start it out. Most of you know that on Saturday, the 30th of June, the last day of June, there are a number of marches around the country protesting the administration's uh, zero-tolerance policy in separating families. Many of the people wore white. They shook their fists in the air. They carried signs reading, no more children in cages. And what next? Concentration camps in major cities. In tiny towns, marchers crossed across, marched across America, and uh, the protesters flooded more than 700 marches for immigrant rights from Los Angeles to New York. So that's a lot of people. President Trump has backed away from the family separation controversy because there's been bipartisan and international uproars about his zero-tolerance policy. Unfortunately, still more than 2,000 children have been separated from their parents at the border. Those marching Saturday demanded the government reunite the families as soon as possible. In the president's hometown of New York City, a massive crowd poured across the Brooklyn Bridge in 90-degree weather, chanting Donald Trump must go. Marches were held from Alaska to Maine, from Florida, Oregon, and even in Antler, North Dakota, which has a population of 27 people. So we know that there's been a lot, a lot of people who are against the policy of the administration of breaking up families and separating families. My opinion is that this is against what America is about. This is against what our immigration laws say. People have a right to seek asylum from persecution. I don't know if the marches will do any good. What do you think, EJ? You you rank this as a good. I think the marches good. are good. Yes, I do. And that's because it. They're showing what America is about. Exactly. Marching, expressing protest about actions and policies. To peacefully change the government or its policies. Right. That is what America is about. That's what the First Amendment is about. It gives the right to people to associate, 
to uh, petition their government to make changes that they think are inhuman. And that there are so many people who have want to express this. Yep. That's what's good about this. There's so many of us who are immigrants, whether it's first, second, third, or fourth generation. Just go online and, and research your family genealogy. And you'll find out if you watch those TV shows, you find out so many well-known stars are are um, children of immigrants. That's right. And you see what conditions their their ancestors were dealing with overseas that brought the, them here. And how quickly they forget. Right. Well, anyway, that is the good story that I have <clears throat> for the week. Let's go to the bad. We have here <clears throat> some findings, and first of all, I'll read something from an op-ed writer. So I don't want to only – let me go back a second to encourage people to get involved in activities and in demonstrations. Um, but also, beyond this, this should motivate you to pay more attention to who's running for office in your jurisdictions – what their positions are on issues that you should should be concerned about. It's not only immigration, it's the, the what America represents to you and don't allow anyone to change your position on it or to educate yourself about what um, what the issues are and the facts related to those. Well, that's well spoken, but this thing about immigration, it has become, it's become a football that's being knocked around or kicked around. And I think that it is a hot topic and I think we need to talk about it. Everyone in the United States, whether they are legal or not legal or not documented or they're citizens, they all have a notion or an opinion of what the immigration laws of the United States are about. Most people, though, have never read the immigration law. They don't know where to find it, and they just go on their gut opinion. But what you say is true. I hope people get out and vote for what they want, the kind of government they want. And remember, many people say, well, what does immigration have to do with me in my daily activity? It may have nothing to do. But they're probably relatives of yours had immigrated to the United States one way or the other. Some people came in chains. Some people came because there were wars. And, uh, you know, it's funny that people whose families come to the United States to make have better life two or three generations later, they don't want other people to come. All right. Now, I want to talk about this second story because I think it's bad. I read that there was a fellow by the name of uh, David, nope, Brian Kloss. He wrote something in the New York Post. He's an opinion writer. He says, do they give out Nobel Peace Prizes for praising and appeasing brutal dictators who threaten, who threaten rather, nuclear war without getting anything in return? Our president claimed he would use his world-class deal-making skills to convince North Korea's dictator Kim Jong-un to surrender his nuclear weapons, instead, Trump got played. Kim, who pledged in wishy-washy language to denuclearize, is now accelerating his nuclear program. All right, that's what Mr. Kloss has said. What is this all about? Well, 
there is information from the U.S. intelligence officials citing newly obtained evidence that concludes that North Korea does not intend to fully surrender its nuclear stockpile and instead is considering ways to conceal the number of weapons and secret production facilities it has, according to the U.S. officials. The evidence collected in the wake of the June 12th summit in Singapore points to preparations to deceive the United States about the number of nuclear warheads in North Korea's arsenal, as well as existence of undisclosed facilities used to make fissile, fissile, I'm sorry, fissile material for nuclear bombs. The findings support a new previously undisclosed defense intelligence agency estimate that North Korea is unlikely to denuclearize. This is bad. We are getting played. This is something I thought would happen. This is the North Koreans game. Was this the game that they've always played with with the U.S.? Yes, it is the game they seem to have always played. Way back in the Carter administration, President Carter tried to uh, appeal to the grandfather of Kim Jong Il, Kim Jong Un, rather, who was in 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 uh, who was in charge yeah, at the, the time. Yeah, the, the grandfather was in charge then. Carter made some entrees toward them, and he suggested that they might do something, but. Carter got played. They didn't do anything. Mm. Then Clinton sent Madeleine Albright to North Korea to try to come up with something to make the Koreans come to the table and perhaps sort of denuclearize or not come up with a nuclear bomb and that sort of thing. It failed miserably. I think uh, Obama tried for just a few minutes and realized he would rather work with Iran than to try to do anything with North Korea where there had been no movement. So we've been now, paying North Korea some kind of... We've been helping them over the years. We've helped them with uh, foreign payments. We don't give them as much money as the China has or the Soviet, what used to be the Soviet Union, but uh, we don't give them that much money now. Okay. So it's been tough on their people. Kim Jong-un is basically starving many of his people. They use the money to help the elite. They run concentration camps and hard work labor camps. A lot of people die in that country. Mm. It's bad. I think we're being played. My own opinion is, is that, well, you know, I would like to see North Korea denuclearize, but I just don't think it's going to happen on the terms that we want. Our president had a reality type show where he went to Singapore and he shook hands with Kim Jong Un. And then he came home and said that, you know, we don't have no fear of nuclear war anymore. Well, I just I just don't believe that. But this is just me talking, EJ. Let's move on to the ugly story, okay? So we've talked about the good. We've talked about the bad. The ugly story from this past week is yet another mass shooting. I don't know what it is about Americans. There was no warning of this attack. The story is that a 38-year-old Maryland man who police said gunned down five employees of the Capital Gazette newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, used a pump-action shotgun purchased legally, and he had barricaded the exit doors as part of a planned attack. His name, Jared Ramos. He was in court on Friday. He did the shooting on Tuesday. What happened to him? 
years after successfully or rather unsuccessfully suing that newspaper, the Capital Gazette, Annapolis is the capital of Maryland, the state of Maryland, Ramos blasted through the doors of the newspaper on a Thursday afternoon and shot up the newsroom before hiding under a desk. Authorities charged Ramos in the killings of the editorial page editor, the editor and columnist, a sports writer, a sales assistant, and a community correspondent. They were all killed. Two staffers were uh, injured. The murder charge in Maryland carries a maximum penalty of life in parole. Maryland doesn't have the death penalty. Now, again, what caused all of this? We're not completely sure, but it seems to have grown out of a grudge that Ramos had against the paper. It seems as if he had a situation where there was a woman who he was stalking. On social media. On social media. And they reported on it. They reported on it. (laughs) He then sued the paper for defamation, and he lost his suit. And he's been mad with the world since then. This was 2011, I think, when he, yeah. when the suit was, uh, overturned or when thrown out rather. But his, yes, his gut, I have him more information. The grudge with the newspaper began in July 2011, had, uh, said that his defamation suit should be thrown out and it was thrown out, but he wanted to get his revenge. This is quite ugly. Tell me more about it, E.J. My understanding is the person who wrote the article no longer worked at the paper. Isn't that an irony? You're absolutely right. He moved on. Yep. However, he was going to get his grudge by killing other people. And that's what I don't understand about this mass killing. What what joy do you get out of settling a grudge when the person who you were really aiming at wasn't even there? Ugly, just ugly. Well, it sounds like it's a aiming against the media for reporting on something he did and or a person who doesn't like losing. Yep, there are a lot of people like that who don't like losing, but most of them don't get guns and go out and shoot up their shoot up their former businesses. Exactly. Or former uh places of work. You know, this started about 30 years ago with what was called going postal. Do you remember that? People who worked in the post office would get very frustrated and go back and kill their supervisor. But this has gone beyond that. We now have students shooting up schools or former students shooting up schools. And we have a guy like this who has a grudge against a woman that grows into a grudge against a newspaper. It's just awful. It really is. I don't know what's going to stop it. Are we becoming psychologically hinged? This is a story about a newspaper that reported accurately on the subject. It wasn't even fake news, and he didn't want it reported. He didn't know who to retaliate against. I don't know what what needs to be done. Well, well, the things that people don't want to hear is maybe put some uh, more regulations about who can buy guns and that sort of thing. We're never going to get rid of the Second Amendment, which I don't want to get rid of. We have a right to bear arms, but we don't have a right to go in and commit mass murder. That's the problem. Nope. All right. Well, you've heard the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is Birdsong. I'm here today with my friend EJ. We're talking about the good, bad, and the ugly. There's more news to come. We're going to take a break, a pause for the cause. Stick with us. There will be more. 
This is Birdsong, and I'm out. Song back with you, folks. We've talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the news of last week. I'm here with my friend EJ, who's helping me out. She has a story that she wants to talk about. She finds things in the news just like I do, and she is really exercised by this fact that there was a funeral in the Washington, D.C. area where things did not go well. Tell us about it, EJ. Get the hell out of my church. That is what a Catholic priest told a funeral mourners who, I'm sorry, I'm just so exercised over this. All right, let me help you out. There, there was a funeral in the Washington, D.C. area. Yes. And, and this Reverend Michael Breeze. He's, he's a priest. He's a Reverend priest, yes. Yes. Who's in his 60s. Angry spoke with people at St. Mary's Church in Charlotte Hall, Maryland. That's right outside he, of D.C., right? Not right, District right. Of Columbia. He was. He wrote a letter talking about his anger. He did apologize, but there were people apparently who who were hugging each other, mourning about the loss of their family member, and they knocked over a chalice. And in the chalice was some consecrated wine, right? That's my understanding. And as a result, he blew up at that. He blew up and told them to get the hell out of his church. Doesn't sound like what a Catholic priest should be saying. Not at all. I I just can't believe it. But he told them, you get, you get this thing referring to the casket and the person inside and you people get out. He called the police and told the told the police that uh, property was being damaged when all it was, all they had knocked down was a chalice. And um, the police arrived and escorted the uh, mourners and the and the um, hearse to the county line. And ultimately to the funeral home, what ultimately happened is another priest um, uh, who was a member of the St. Peter Claver Parish, a pastor, um, performed the funeral services. But... The, dame, the, da- the damage had been done. Then. The damage had been done. I mean, the, I imagine they contacted the diocese, or not the diocese, but the archdiocese, and they uh, con- contacted an alternative priest. But that the the person who passed had been was baptized in that church, and had wanted to be buried through that church, and that's a, a something. Proper that, funeral mass, in other words. Not only the church, but a proper funeral mass. And um, she didn't get it. 
And that's a shame. That's really a shame. I've never heard such a story. Been going around here. Was the priest, was he suspended from his duties? Or was he punished in he some kind placed, of way? He was placed on administrative leave while they investigate what happened. But what they were able to look at or are going to be able to look at is the video tapes that mourners recorded of the incident. Mm, mm, mm. All right. But it's uh, 200 to 250 people being put out of a of a of a Catholic church. That's a big funeral. Obviously. So how do you fit all those people into a funeral home? Good, good <laughs> question. Big funeral home, I guess. Well, they maybe all of them didn't get in there, but I understand a chalice is blessed and consecrated. Um, yes. Well, again, I hope this never happens again. I've never heard of a priest yelling, get the hell out of my church. It's not our church, is not it? It's our church, not just his church. Exactly. Uh, get, get the all right, then. Well, what do you rank that? Is that good, bad, or ugly what's happened here? It was It was certainly ugly, the priest yelling out, get the hell out of my church. But did it turn out good, or is it still bad? It's still bad. It, it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths and it, you know, paints the, the church in an ugly way. It makes them look bad. The, um, the auxiliary bishop was contacted. He, he expressed real concern about what happened and, um, and so he's the one who put that priest on, on, uh, administrative leave. Um, it was a, the person who passed was African American. The priest was Caucasian. Um, and the priest they obtained to perform the service was, was African American. He was a pastor in two churches in, um, in Maryland, one being the St. Peter Claver. And so you think so there was a racial component to this, kicking the people out of the church? It seems to be that way. He claimed after everybody left the church, he told the Paul, Paul bearers that he wasn't a racist, but he probably didn't, you know, didn't recognize any of these people as being members of his church and, um, didn't probably think that they had any respect for, didn't have any knowledge about the, the Catholic, the Catholic faith. But that's that's no excuse. All right, then. Well, what a sad story. I think that that's upon the bad. It's almost approaching ugly. I agree. But we need to move on. Thank you so much for that story. I know that it's going around the United States. I hope this doesn't happen in other churches. You're listening to Birdsong, folks. I'm here with EJ, my friend. We've been talking about the news. I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about some dumb criminal law stories for you. You know, these stories never go away. You may get some laughs. You may get some tears. Stick with us. There's more to come.
Okay, folks. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Birdsong. We are here on the radio with you. I have my friend EJ with me. I'm now going to read some dumb criminal law stories. You know that I collect these stories from all over the world about dumb criminals and the things they do. These stories never change in that people are fallible and they do silly things. Our first story is out of Oregon this week. These stories are all from the first part of this year. The headline, Terrorism Wedding Caper. A man became so enraged when he learned he hadn't been invited to a relative's wedding, he falsely reported that his father and brother were planning a terror attack. Sonny Smith, 38, of the town of Clackamas, Oregon, is now accused of lashing out at his male kinfolk because they received invitations and he didn't. <laughs> oh, my God, how foolish. He falsely reported that his father and his brother were planning a terrorist attack. Did he go to jail? Doesn't say. <laughs> what about Pakistan? Pakistan, here's the headline. Watch your back while in this country, ladies. It's been reported that a gang in Punjab, Pakistan, has been arrested for stealing what? Spinal fluid from women and selling it on the black market. Oh, my God. The four bandits allegedly told 12 victims they were government officials taking blood samples before plunging needles into their vertebrae, according to authorities. The clear fluid, which protects the brain and spinal cord from injury, is likely sold to traditional Islamic healers, authorities report. Watch your back while in Pakistan, ladies. Talk about stolen was it buying stolen goods? <laughs> yeah, right. Here's a story from Pennsylvania. Headline, Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. A jail inmate was arrested for allegedly smuggling 78 doses of LSD, cocaine, and meth into jail. How so? She smuggled it in her weave. <laughs> LaShondra Brown, 29, was charged with 18 counts of smuggling and will spend more time in jail. Oh, my goodness. How they found that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't want to go into that. The jailers have ways of finding things out. Here's another story from Pennsylvania. Headline here. This teacher needs to learn a few lessons. Tara Smith a Susquitentia high school mathematics teacher not only stole a white coach bag, a wallet, $250 in cash, and a Victoria's Secret gift card from a student. <laughs> the police say that Miss Smith, 32, was silly enough to use the gift card herself to buy items she had shipped to her own home, <laughs> according to the police who arrested her for grand theft. I want to know, I mean, this is a bad story. I want to know what kind of high school student has a white coach bag, a wallet, and $250 in cash that could be stolen by the teacher. <laughs> These stories never go away. Here's a story from Tennessee. Teachers need raises. <laughs> I, guess that, I guess that's it. Teachers do need raises. Here's a story from Tennessee. Headline, they dubbed her the Kingpin Granny. We learned that Betty Jean Jordan, 75, of the town of Parsons, Tennessee, was arrested 
in early February this year, after peddling so much morphine and oxycodone, police obtained an arrest warrant for her. They went to her home, and in her home, they found illegal drugs and cash. The search of her home pursuant to the arrest warrant revealed that there were 1,000 prescription pills, mainly opioids, found, and a wad of $12,000 in cash in Miss Jordan's possession. Wow. Now, Miss Jordan, the 75-year-old who uses a wheelchair, didn't go quietly when she was arrested. According to police officers who gave her a break by leaving the premises for some time for her to gather her belongings, when officers returned to take her to jail, she had gone on the lam. <laughs> she was apprehended the next day. Since her arrest, prosecutors maintained she'd been dealing drugs now for 20 years. <laughs> Granny Kingpin, huh? Or Kingpin Granny. Isn't that something? When she went on the lam, did she, was she in her wheelchair? <laughs> well, if she used a wheelchair, she probably did. You just don't go that far in a wheelchair. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. This next story is from Texas. Here's the headline. His logic blows. A man who was convicted of four DWIs tried to overturn his prison sentence by arguing breathalyzer-centric laws discriminate against alcoholics. Ralph Friesenhahn of San Antonio said the state's 0.08 blood alcohol limit is unfair to drunks because they have higher tolerances and can function normally on that much booze. Unfortunately, an Austin, Texas appeals court denied his case. I guess so. <laughs> his logic blows, EJ. <laughs> All right, another story from Texas. The headline on this one said he busted out of prison for a home-cooked meal. It appears that prison food was so bad that Joshua Hansen, 25, of Dallas, Texas, was caught trying to sneak back into a federal prison in Beaumont, Texas, with a feast including sausages, chicken, rice, veggies, all in a duffel bag, according to the Jefferson County Police. Police also say they found that Hansen was hauling a stash of liquor, <laughs> of course, to wash it all down. <laughs> he went for a carryout run. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. He uh, missed that Texas barbecue. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Vermont, what a stink, says the headline. We learned that a Vermont man recently confessed to spraying liquid manure on a U.S. Customs Border Protection car last summer. Ooh, gross. It is gross. Police allege that Mark Johnson, 53 years old, vandalized the cruiser, the police cruiser, after he went on a rant about why not enough was being done to arrest immigrants in the country illegally. What a stink. What a stink. <laughs> Here's a story from Virginia. If at first you don't succeed, says the headline, a heroin dealer is accused of slipping into an Alexandria, Virginia hospital to make a sale to a patient, that is to make a sale to a patient who then suffered a second near-fatal overdose in two days. Police said Michael Flipowitz, 25, signed into the hospital as a visitor to sell the dope to a 24-year-old man who had been admitted the day before after overdosing. If at first you don't succeed. <laughs> oh, All right. The last story for today. These stories never change. If you want to read. People don't learn. They don't learn. I was just going to say before the last story, if you want to read 
some more of my dumb criminal law stories, you can go to my uh, blog, www.birdsongslaw.com. Birdsongslaw is one word, dot com. All right, here's the floor, the story from Florida, the last one. Yep, she picked the wrong guy to scam, says the headline. It's been reported that a greedy clerk allegedly tried to steal winning lottery ticket prize money. However, she picked the wrong person to scam. The man was actually an undercover Florida Lottery Commission agent hired to keep clerks honest. <laughs> when Dixie Liquors worker Chris, Crystal Baden, nope, Crystal Baton, 42 of Fort Myers, Florida, told the agent that her $600 winning ticket was only worth $5. Wow. Now, she allegedly had slid the winning ticket into a notebook and was arrested on the spot. Yep, she picked the wrong guy to scam. <laughs> All right, these are your dumb criminal law stories. But here, I have some riddles for you. And they're not difficult. But I do these riddles to keep you on your toes. There are going to be three of them. See if you can figure them out. EJ, see if you can figure them out. Okay. Here's the first one. I'll come back at the end of the show to tell people and you. Mm-hmm is the answer if you can't get it. The first riddle. What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Second one. What do you call two birds in love? What do you call two birds in love? And finally, if your hair is sticky after combing it, what should you have not used? If your hair feels sticky after you've combed it, what should you have not used? This is Birdsong. I'll be back at the end of the show with these riddles. Stick with us. We're going to have a Paul Harvey story coming up. You'll like this one. This is Birdsong. Folks, this is Birdsong back with you. Happy to be here. I'm always happy to be on the radio. I have my friend EJ with me. You know, I like Paul Harvey. He was a great broadcaster. I like to be like him. It's popular. His son, Paul Harvey Arant, wrote a number of stories for him over the years that he read on the radio. In honor of him, I read some of these stories. This one's called The Old House on the Hill. You are a stranger in these parts, and you've taken a walk into the countryside. As the brilliant colors of autumn have lured you into wandering, so has your mind been dazzled in forgetfulness. Your way momentarily lost, you look up and about you, and there atop a high hill is a huge old house. Let's walk up there for a closer look. As the dry leaves rustle in your path, the old house looms larger before you. There's no sign of activity from within or without. Tall windows, tall columns, tall chimneys, 
a lonely feeling. Obviously uninhabited, equally obviously uninhabitable. The place is a ruin, somber, desolate. Vegetation has grown up all around. The windows are broken. It's getting late now. You ought really turn back. But curiosity is getting the better of you. As you expected, the big door on the west side is not only open, it's practically falling off its hinges. Now you're in the main hall. There is a large, horseshoe-shaped second-story balcony with no apparent staircase leading to it. What a grand home this must have been once upon a time. Your pensiveness is broken by sudden sounds. Was that a moan you heard? And then some sort of dragging or grinding from below? Once more, your curiosity has overcome other considerations, and you set off to search for the source of the sounds. Your search ends in the basement. For some reason, livestock have been allowed to take shelter there. Cattle? Now you've seen everything, and one by one the questions come. How come such a place, surely once so lovely, have been neglected and consigned to decay? Doesn't anyone know? Doesn't anyone know it's here? I'll tell you this much. The original owner improvised. Nope. I'll tell you this much. The original owner, impoverished before his death, sought permission from the authorities to raffle off his home. It and everything in it went for a song, and eventually the old house was abandoned. You right now are carrying a picture of that old house in your pocket or in your purse. In the countryside you walk, took a hundred years ago. In 1879, the old house on the hill looked precisely as you saw it. Grain was sometimes milled and stored on the parquet floors of the drawing room. The basement had become a cattle barn. In 1862, the house was bequeathed to the American people, and Congress turned it down. Congress, preoccupied with the Civil War, had no time for petty real estate. For 20 years, the home declined toward total collapse, even though its designer, the builder, its original owner, was also the designer and author of what? Our Declaration of Independence. The old house on the hill, restored at last from ruin and still with us, the same house on the tail of your nickel was the home of Thomas Jefferson, Monticello. Now you know the rest of the story. This is Birdsong, the old house on the hill. That was Monticello? That was Monticello, yes. All right, folks. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. That was, a, I thought, a timely story since we just had the 4th of July, and it was Thomas Jefferson who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Let's now give you the answers to the riddle. EJ, can you figure out the first one? What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? I can't think of an answer. What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Well, I don't, I don't know. What the, did baby the baby corn said, where's popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the second one. You like that, huh? What do you call two birds in love? What do you call two birds in love? Can't think of the answer. <laughs> I don't know. You call them tweethearts. Oh, 
something? All right, here's the last riddle. Why does your hair feel sticky, or why should your hair feel sticky after you've used something to comb your hair that you shouldn't have used? Why is your hair feeling sticky when you combed your hair with something you shouldn't have used? Hairspray? Not hairspray. You would have combed your hair with a honeycomb. I thought it was funny. All right. I'm at the end of the show here, but let me give you the thought for today. We just had 4th of July not too long ago. Listen to this one. One of the great liberal documents of the world is the Declaration of Independence. One of the great conservative documents of the world is the Constitution of the United States. We need both documents to build a country, one to get it started, liberal, and the other to help maintain structure over the years, conservative. We need a Declaration of Independence and a Constitution of the United States. We're lucky in this country to have both. This is Birdsong. I'll be back with you next week.